wish you could have been here. I know some of you, you joined this uh, sermon after the fact because we have sermons uh, posted on our website and on iTunes and uh, this is the beginning of the, the message for you and perhaps you saw some people walking off and we've been receiving new members and what a joy it is to be part of this church and just a show of hands, how many of you have been here every Sunday since Easter? It was only two weeks ago, but all right, you're three for three, all right, here we go. Uh, as a reminder that we're in a brand new series. We're going through the book of Philippians. And as we walk through from Philippians 1 all the way through the end in Philippians 4, we're taking a look at this life that God longs for us to experience. And as we literally walk through this, if you miss any of them or if you'd like to get caught up, again, you can go onto our website, you can go online, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, just look up Bel Air Church, and you can listen to those. Now, how many of you brought your Bible today? A lot more than last week, fantastic, fantastic. Now, if you don't own a Bible, uh, you can have one today. It's in the pews right in front of you. It's that red book. And if you don't own one, please take it with you. We as a, as a church would much rather you have it than it sit here all week. It's now yours. You can put your name in it. You can underline it. You can circle it. You can highlight it. In fact, there's pencils there in front of you. We've got two ladies of this church who they see it as their quiet ministry. They don't want me to even say their names. They go around, they sharpen those pencils. Replace the pencil so that you can take notes, and what a joy that is. Isn't that fantastic? Well, uh, as a reminder, as we go through Philippians, that uh, this was written by a man who didn't always love Jesus. In fact, he grew up as a very religious man. He was really good at following the law, the religious law. He was a very moral, upright, standing person. And he saw these Christians, these people that, that loved Jesus, that felt that they were approved by God through faith in Jesus. He saw them as a threat. He approved their persecution. He approved their killing. And Jesus appears to him. The resurrected Jesus completely upends his life, completely transforms him. He now goes a different direction. He is now sold out for Jesus. And he wrote most of the New Testament. But you've got to remember that in uh, the circumstance of his life, at that moment, he was in jail. And we'll get to this in a moment, but you have to understand before I read this section that this man isn't just in jail. And I don't want you to imagine kind of a white collar, nice jail with a television and books and, uh, you know, this kind of nice kind of place where you can kind of, you know, move out and about and get your exercise and all the things that you want. No, he was in chains. And he wasn't just in chains alone. It was much worse. He was chained to another human being. He was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Imagine if that was your job, that that was your shift, that you had to literally go to work to be chained to a prisoner. And there was different shifts throughout the day. So Paul, not only... You see, in jail, he's in a place that is utterly dehumanizing, utterly discouraging, utterly demeaning because he can't sleep alone. He can't go to the bathroom alone. He can't think and collect himself alone. He can't write this letter alone. He is chained to somebody 24-7. Here's the amazing thing. He was filled with joy. He was filled with satisfaction. He knew God's purpose for his life because what do you do when you pair the world's greatest evangelist chained to another human? You've got a captive audience. 
He wasn't in captivity. They were captive to the gospel. And you'll see here that actually people come to Christ. And you've got to hear this today, and this is so practical. This will actually change how you see the circumstances of your life. That if you really want to experience true joy, I mean a deep joy, if you want to experience a deep sense of peace and satisfaction, if you want to go through life not allowing the circumstances of life, the details of life to knock you down or to discourage you, you've got to understand this. It's not about changing the details of your life. It's about changing the definition of your life. You see, Paul had discovered the true definition of life. When he had the right definition of life, no matter what the details were, good, bad, amazing, awful, chained to somebody else or not, he was thriving. Do you want to thrive? I mean, do you want to go through life that no matter what life throws at you, whether it's cancer or death or disappointment or loss of a job, loss of a loved one, do you want to go through life? Because I want to go through life that way in a way that those things don't crush me. And so Paul shows us that there is no other name that can define life for us. So open those Bibles back up to Philippians 1. Some of you pulled them out for a moment. I don't want you to keep them open as we go to Philippians 1. Some of you have brought your own Bible. Some of you have, you've got a brand new Bible. It's that Red Pew Bible. It's not yours. Put your name in it, like I said. How many of you, just show of hands, just wave this around. Anybody have this? Just a few. We've got, we've got more of these, I believe, on the info booth outside. This is a, simply a bookmark in your Bible or new Bible that you can take a look at where we're headed, all the passages coming up with the different titles. And as we get to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 all the way through 26, it's on page 953 in your pew Bible. Let me read for you before we continue on. Paul writing, he says, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial garden to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering and my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful label for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I might share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's Word. 
Let's pray before we dive into this. Loving God, would you give us the ears to hear, hearts open, minds open to what you would have for us. God, in my preparation this week, wanting simply to get out of the way and for your word, which is already alive, which is already active, which is already sharper than any two-edged sword, that I wouldn't snuff it out, that I wouldn't get in the way. God, we thank you that you have a word for us. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. amen. All right, so take a look there, verse 12. And before we dive in, some of you are taking notes, I want to cover three things. First, the details of life. Second, the alchemy of life. When was the last time you heard that in church? A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, the alchemy of life. Third, the definition of life. I don't have a poem for you, but I got three points. And as we get into the details of life, we've got to understand, first and foremost, that there's basic details, circumstances, that are common to every human being. We're all born. We're all going to die. We all have ups. We all have downs. We all have expectations met. We have expectations unmet. There's heartache. The exact details of every human life are different. True, yes, right? But the basic details, it's what makes us common in our humanity. And if we go through life trying to order the details of our life to give us joy, it's a dead-end road. If you've come here today thinking that, if, gosh, if my circumstances could just change, if this could kind of pan out differently, God, if you could help me, and that's why I'm going to church, so that, God, I can prove to you that I love you, and therefore, God, if you can change the details of my life, if I can get that job, be in that relationship, if I can beat that cancer, if I can finally get the details of the life that I want for me, then I'm going to thrive, then I'm going to have joy, then I'm going to have peace. I'm, I got to tell you, that is a dead-end road. Because the truth is, that in your life, even as you are passionately following Jesus Christ, there will be details of your life that are either they're unfolding right now, they've already unfolded, or they will unfold that you didn't expect. That will leave you disappointed. That will leave you with tremendous heartache. And I've got to make a side comment and, and to say it this way, that as people of faith that actually believe in a loving God, that actually defines for us what, what good and evil is, that actually defines for us what God longs for us to experience and what God doesn't long for us to experience, that actually, that we as people of faith, we should actually have a harder time wrestling with the fact that people experience loss. We should have a harder time that there's evil in the world. We should actually have a harder time trying to answer the question, why would a Christian get cancer? Why would somebody that loves God, why would God allow them to lose their job? You see, the Apostle Paul understands this. He knows what people know, that this man is dynamic. He's a tremendous leader of the church. He authored 
a tremendous amount of the New Testament, all of his letters, he had this ability to go into places like Rome, Ephesus, Philippi, Athens. He commanded audiences. He could share the gospel with people across the socioeconomic spectrum. He was bold. He was courageous. Even in the midst of being shipwrecked and beaten and lashed and jailed, he still had this ability to, to keep bringing the gospel. And in this moment, you would think the height of his career, he is arrested. Not with a slap on the wrist to get a fine and spend a month in jail chained to somebody. No, he is on trial, possibly to be executed. And he knows that the other Christians are looking at the details of this and saying, what gives? This man who has given his life to Christ why would God allow him to be arrested? Why would God allow him to, to possibly be put to death? You see, as Christians, as, as people of faith, we should actually wrestle with that more than somebody who doesn't believe in God. Why would I say that? I have a friend, he's a philosophy of uh, religion professor at Pepperdine University. We talk about this all the time. And, and he made this great point. He says, and, I, and I, it's true, that he says, if somebody says, I can't believe in God, because there's evil in the world. I can't believe in God because there's brokenness in this world. I can't believe in a God that would allow his people to be persecuted and put to death. So I'm not gonna believe in God. My friend says, and it's a great point, he says, in that moment when they say, I can't believe in God, life is as it is, actually in that moment, they have lost their ability to even make a case that there is evil or good in the world that actually in that moment, they're backing away from their ability to even talk about what is good and bad. They're actually backing away from their ability to even complain. Why? Because if there is no God, who's to say that that thing is evil? If there is no God, if there is no absolute truth, isn't it all relative? Uh, if there is no God and there's no absolute truth, then... It is what it is, and therefore, it's just a matter of opinion. And the thing that you think is so good in your life, somebody else thinks is evil, and the thing that you think they're doing is evil, they actually think is good. That actually your definition of good and bad is just very relative. And I want you to sit with that for a moment. And this is an important point because either you've come to this, this moment with those questions, God, why would you allow Christians, good people, to experience heartache and, and death, or you've got family or friends in your life that are, that are making that same argument, you've got to know that apart from the belief in an absolute creator, then we're just a cosmic mistake. Then we're just part of a chain reaction of evolution. Then it's all relative. It's, it's all a matter of just opinion. Life is what it is, and we're left hopeless. And then we're truly chained to the details of life. Then we're truly chained to the circumstances of life. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, this thing that's happening to me, I might die here. I'm chained to somebody. I'm going to be very real with that. And that's what I love. The life that God has for us isn't this Pollyanna, I'm going to just avoid the suffering of life and I'm just going to put on a smiley face and say, Christ is good, things are good, amen, this is great. Oh no, it's so, Jesus is going to conquer all. No, no, he says, look, look, open those Bibles back up. 
He says it right here. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me, he's very real, he's authentic, he is honest, he doesn't skirt around the issue. God is calling us to be real with the details of our life, the circumstances of our life. I've got cancer is what we need to say when we get diagnosed with cancer. I've lost my job is what we need to say to one another when we've lost our job. We can't bury that. We can't hide that. We need to be a people that is willing to be bold enough, courageous enough, and as you were with us last week, to be gutsy enough to say, I'm struggling. And the Apostle Paul says that there are details of life, whether you're a Christian or not, that can be good or can be bad. That's common humanity. But don't be chained in your perspective of life to those details. You see, he was chained to a Roman guard. And if that was his only perspective, then he was chained in his thinking to that guard. He would be dismayed, he would be distraught, he would be discouraged, but he's rejoicing. He now has an opportunity. He's got a captive audience. They're chained to him, I'm thinking is what he's thinking. He's thinking this is amazing. I don't just get an audience every Sunday. I mean, you're free to leave whenever you want. He said, I look at this, and they're going to keep rotating through. He even says it later on there. He says, the whole Roman guard has heard that I'm in prison for Christ. People were coming to Christ because of it. So he's saying, don't be chained to the details of your life. Be real. Be honest. They're there, but don't be chained to them. Well, then what? What do you do? That's the second point, the alchemy of life. Matthew Henry, a great commentator of Scripture uh, in the 1600s, in this section actually references, and he says, what Paul is saying is that God is the true alchemist. Now, alchemy in the Middle Ages was this kind of pseudoscience. It was this practice. It was attempting to, to literally turn things, elements that didn't have worth, that didn't have value, something like lead, and to turn it into something valuable like gold. People weren't able to figure it out. They tried and they tried and tried for centuries to transform something with no value to something with value, something mundane to something exquisite from lead to gold. And what Paul is saying is that God is the true alchemist, that only God, humans can't do it, we can't do it, but what God can do is he can take worthless things, mundane things, being chained to a Roman guard, he can take you losing your job. He can take you with that latest disappointment, with that recent diagnosis, with somebody that you just lost. He can take that and he can actually, he can transform it to gold. He can transform it for his glory. You see, Paul had a perspective that wasn't chained to the details. It was attached to the all-created, all-knowing, all-loving God. And he says it here in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. That God's taken this thing that we don't understand. He's actually using it for his glory. And then he goes on through this section. And he says, you know, even some people out there are preaching Christ with different motives. Even God's using that for his glory. I'm going to rejoice because it's Christ whose name is lifted high up. Look at verse 19. It says this, 
For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's saying that there is something going on, not just in the circumstances. Listen to this. He's not just taking the circumstances of life, turning the circumstances, the details from lead into gold for the sake of the gospel. He's saying that actually what God is doing, and I'm treasuring your prayers because of it, that God is actually turning me, Paul says. He's turning me into gold. Look at verse 19 again. It says this, that these things are happening for the sake of my deliverance. Now, don't think in that moment he's talking about him being delivered out of jail because the Greek word there is the word for salvation. Paul is saying that, don't you know these things that are happening are actually, they're for my salvation. Now, hold on a second here. Is Paul not saved at this point? Has he not? Of course he is. He's, he's given his life to Christ. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to step into some advanced Christianity here. We're ready for this. You can go there. Let's go there. In the New Testament, when talking about salvation, the Apostle Paul talks about salvation in the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense. He speaks to Christians. Where's hope? Is hope still here? Where's hope? You got baptized. Hope. Past tense. You have been saved because of yesterday you gave your life to Christ. Paul says to all of us who've given our life to Christ in the past, you have been saved. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. God looks at you in Christ and says, you are forgiven. You are redeemed. Don't let anyone else say anything otherwise. You've been set free from the penalty of sin. God looks at you and says, as a righteous judge, Jesus paid it all. He paid your debt. You take that righteousness upon yourself. You're forever saved from the penalty of sin. Oh, but today's going to be tough. Tomorrow's going to be tough. Next week's going to be tough for all of us. We might relate to the Apostle Paul, though he once was saved. He also talks about how we are present tense. We are being saved from the power of sin. Because even though God looks at us and says you're not guilty, sin still has its, its chains wrapped around us. We still have bitterness. We still have an inability to forgive. We can actually be bigots sometimes. We can be unjust sometimes. We can lack trust sometimes. We can, we can be fearful sometimes. We can have addictions. I've got struggles in my life that I didn't even think I had struggles with, but God's spirit in and through me is, is making me aware of these things that are preventing me from being completely sold out for Christ because there's power in sin. The Apostle Paul describes it this way. In Romans, he says, gosh, the things I want to do, I don't do. Ah, the things I don't want to do, I do. Can you relate to this? I relate to this. And he says, this wretched man that I am, I'm led. As sin has its stronghold on me, this wretched man that I am, this wretched woman, man that you are, and the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we with unveiled faces reflect God's glory and through the power of the Spirit we are being transformed more and more and more and more into the image of Christ. And that is that present tense saving. The fancy theological advanced Christianity 501 word is sanctification. That you are being saved. And Paul, what he's, this, is, this is the advanced part. He's saying that this thing that's going on isn't just the circumstances are actually turning out for the spread of the gospel. These circumstances are refining me. 
These circumstances are transforming me. If you were here with us on Easter, it is the masterpiece in the making kind of moment. I'm somehow in the midst of this, I'm going to be more the Paul that God wants me to be. I might become more patient, more bold, more thankful, more forgiving. You see, the definition, which we'll get to in a moment, isn't based on the details. So God can actually use the details of your life for his glory. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. He's abandoned by his brothers. He's left for dead in a ditch. Years go by. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt. He actually has the power and the authority to actually save his family from famine. And then he meets his family many years later. And what does he say? He says, what you in turn for harm God intended for? That's alchemy. Only God can do. He can turn lead into gold. And it's not just the circumstances. It's you. Have you ever thought about you lost your job? Because God knew that perhaps the first time in your life that you would cry out to him and say, help. That he would actually use that to transform you more into the person that he longs for you to be. And this is the advanced part because what you can't do is you can't sit down with somebody who just says, I lost a loved one. You can't just say, oh, great, perfect, gold's a-coming. No, no. As people of faith, as Christians, we have to be real. We have to be honest. We have to sit with one another in tears sometimes, very much sitting in the real, raw reality of what we're going through. And together to have this, this future hope that's grounded in what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. That somehow, I can't see it fully right now, and we're not going to see it fully until we're with God in the new heavens and the new earth. That somehow he's going to use it to transform me. I think about my brother who died of a drug overdose. I think about my wife and I struggling with infertility for years. I think about many circumstances of my life that I was in the midst in. And I thought, God, how would you ever use this? And even before I asked that question, I often said, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. (laughs) And God says, would you trust me? Never in a million years would I know that I want to sit down with the family to begin to plan a funeral who, by the way, don't want to be there at all. The last thing on earth they want to do is be meeting with me to plan a memorial service for their loved one that I can actually, in the midst of that, sit down and say, you know, I've never, I've never lost a child. I haven't yet lost a parent. But I lost my brother, an accidental drug overdose. And I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I knew what I went through and I'm here with you. And I want you to know that God is with you. And every single meeting I have with the family immediately changes in that instant. In that moment, they actually are opening to hear what God may be able to comfort them with. Never in a million years would I know that God would use that. The long journey of infertility to meet with couples. God, you see, actually wants to use those things in your life actually as a sounding board. I see Catherine Wolf over there. 
this ministry that you have now that's spreading the world because of what God allowed you to go through. And it's not only for the sake of the gospel, but you're being refined through that. You're going from lead to gold. Every single one of us has that. And if you allow yourself to to not be chained to that detail, because you can't change them all. You can change some, you can't change them all. That you actually see that God actually wants to use these things to be transferred for his glory and for your transformation. But even beyond that, there's the third. The Apostle Paul was able to do this because he had the proper definition of life. You'll see it there, verse 21. Begins with the word for. Well, it's a Bible you brought or the new Bible that you have. I want you to circle the word for, underline the word for, put a star next to the word for. Get your attention to that word for. It's there for a very good reason. After this whole section, he's saying, here's the definition, here's the reason, here's the why, here's the how behind the whole thing. To live is Christ. Paul's definition of life was this, Jesus Christ. If he was to be given a test, a one-question test, and it was a fill-in-the-blank test, to live is fill-in-the-blank There was only one name that he knew could only fit in that line, Jesus. Every single one of us has defined life, you, me, all of us. And I want you to personalize this. I want you to think about this. How would you define life? In other words, how would you fill in the blank? To live is blank. Is it to live is to be healthy? And don't just say Christ because you're in church, okay? I mean, what's the thing that you think about when your head hits the pillow every day? What's the first thing that you think of when you wake up? What's the thing that you stress about? What's the thing that you're anxious about right now in this moment? Now that I've brought it up, you're like, thank you, Drew, for bringing that thing up. I was here to avoid that thing. I've brought it up now. It's that thing right there on that line. To live is health, security, my reputation, people liking me. It's my career. It's my resume. To live is being in control. To live is having things go my way. To to live is being number one. To live is to be seen for how much I'm doing for people. You see, every single one of us has a definition of what life is. And I want you to personalize. I want you to think about it. And maybe it's going to take some time. Maybe you can't even identify it right here, but would you pray about it? Would you say, God, what's my definition? What am I living for? What's the one thing, if taken from me, I would just absolutely lose it? You see, for many years, for me to live was to be liked. And so I would live my life trying to make people like me. I was a chameleon. I would act a certain way around my family and my friends. Man, I was a good chameleon. But what happens when just one person who, who does, it doesn't even have to be somebody you know, but you kind of hear it through the grapevine that somebody thinks that you're a, a fake. <gasps> I'm crushed. The fall floors out from under me. It just drops out from under me. I've got nothing. What's it for you? To live is blank. If it's anything other than the name of Jesus Christ, it's a dead end road. If it's anything other than Jesus Christ, 
there's going to be a moment when that detail actually pans out in a different way than you expected, a different way than you anticipated. And so Paul, who has this definition of life that is correct, that is true, that to live is Christ, he's saying, what matters to me is that people would see through my life, through the circumstances of my life, the great glorious beauty of Jesus. That even in this situation, that I wouldn't be frustrated because it's different than what I wanted, I would use this as an opportunity to share my love for Jesus. That in the midst of this, I'm going to trust him. That I want to become more like him. That the circumstances and even my own life, I'm just going to say, God, I, I give up. I'm going to surrender. I want you to define me. I want you to transform me. I want you to tell me what is right, what is wrong. I want you to lead me. And so as we spend time in God's word, as we spend time in prayers, we spend time in Christian community in a very practical way. And that's why we're changing our schedule, by the way, this summer. Beginning June 11th, you've heard. There's going to be two morning services, an 8.30 a.m. and an 11 a.m. Those are your two morning options. And in between those two morning services, at 10 a.m., we're going to have a grow hour. You see many of you, you worship and go. It's easy. It's convenient. Drive through church. You worship and go. We want you in this season, every single one of you, if this is your church home, that you would worship and grow. And you've actually got a harder time, 11 a.m. service. Some of you show up at 1130. You're going to have to show up now, 90 minutes earlier at 10 a.m. And that time, we, we're asking the 9 a.m.ers to actually show up earlier at 830. You've got a harder. You've got to show up much earlier. And for all of us, that time in between, this overlap of multi-generational opportunities to grow together, to grow in our relationship with God, to grow in biblical knowledge, to grow in practical ways of following Jesus, to grow in our ability to share our faith, to be servants, to, to have tangible ways that we can understand how to have spiritual disciplines, that we would grow in our relationships with one another, that we would learn to serve, all these different ways that this is the opportunity right now to actually show up to opportunities for that sanctification to happen. To learn in very practical ways what it means to live is Christ. Some of you can't wait till June 11. And you're thinking, I want to know today. Well, Alpha is a great opportunity today right after the service. Pastor Kerr shared earlier another great way to explore some very real, some tangible questions of why are we here? What is this life all about? Let me say this one last thing. Regardless of what your definition of life is, you have an opportunity. I have an opportunity. And sometimes it's a daily choice. It's an hourly choice. It's a minute-by-minute minute choice. To remove the name off the definition of whatever we've put there, and to put the name, the only name of Jesus Christ there. That is a conversion experience. That is a, a true act of worship. It's a part of our ongoing sanctification. And to, to remove whatever it is, whether it's health, security, reputation, whatever it is, and you're going to fill in the blank. You, you, I saw you, and then you're, you're going to personalize this. Whatever it is to remove off and to put the name of Jesus onto it, that's not going to happen, I believe, in a sustaining way if you are guilted into it. And I don't, I, please don't imagine God up there shaking a divine finger at you saying, why don't you define life the way I want you to define life? God is not this angry tyrant trying to blot you out from up above saying, change or die. But I want you to see this. How would Jesus define life? 
If Paul says to live is Christ, would Jesus say to live is Christ? Think about this for a moment. Would Jesus say to live is Christ? Well, that'd be very selfish, wouldn't it? Constantly, Jesus is saying, I've come to do the will of the Father. But in John 17, 26, he says this, that I have done all these things for the sake of them. Who's he referring to? I want this to just marinate your soul for a bit. I want it to saturate your heart, your mind, all that you are. That Jesus says to live is you. That Jesus lived for you. And as living for the Father, he says, I have come for you, to redeem you, to rescue you. He died for you. He defeated death for you. He served for you. He confirmed the powers of evil for you. He lived the perfect life for you. Do you understand that? Personalize it. To live as David, to live as Hope, to live as Kevin, to live as Samantha, to live as Steve. First put your name there. Christ is defining life by putting your, he's living for you, for all of you. John 3.16 says, I have come to save the world, not to condemn it, to save the world. And then and only then when you realize that God has sent Jesus to live for you, then and only then for me and my prayers for you that you would then live simply in response. So the great creator of the cosmos says, I live for you, I die for you, that you would actually receive that with joy that it would humble you, that it would melt your heart, that you would then say in response the same way that Paul did to live as Christ. To die is gain, I wanna be with them, but I'm gonna stay here as long as they will allow me to live for the sake of others. That's what's amazing. He doesn't say I'm gonna stay here so that I can grow. He says I'm gonna stay here as long as God will allow me so that other people can grow. And can you imagine if we're a church that doesn't just worship and grow for ourselves, but that we worship and grow and we're committed to other people growing as well. That we're showing up, not just saying, how can I grow and how can I help those that are already here grow, but that we as a church would long to help this city, this world grow in living a life defined by the reality of who Jesus is. Baylor, I need every single one of you. Our pastoral team needs every single one of you. Our elders need every single one of you. Our church needs every single one of you. This world, the people in your life, the people you work with, your neighbors, they need every single one of you, all of us, to lean into this season, to say, Jesus, how can I follow you? Every day and everywhere with everyone, that's why we exist, because we long to see every person, every neighborhood, every city revived and renewed by Jesus. Don't change the details of your life. Change the definition. Let's pray. Loving God, in this moment, would your spirit continue to speak truth into our lives long after we leave here today? God, we were reminded that it is only through you that we can come to the realness of life. May we soak in the fact that, that you love us. And would we love others? Would we love you in return because you first loved us? 
In Jesus, in your mighty and matchless name, I pray. And we sit together. Amen.